This is Alpha Geek Radio. Started a rogue cock starter. Hey. <laughs> I came in at the right time. But with a K, cock starter with a K. Yeah. <laughs> well, it did. It, I don't know. I have no answer for you. <laughs> no. no. Sorry. So uh, this is the Kickstarter um, where we started really just are talking about um, a variety of crowdfunding, but I don't know why we called it the Kickstarter panel. But um, I thought maybe we'd all just talk about, to start, um, with why we're, why we're up here. Um, I guess I'll just go first really quickly. I'm so theoretically the moderator, but that's hard to moderate over there, so <laughs> we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, so I'm Corinne Lewis. I'm not on a podcast. But um, I've been involved with six Kickstarters, um, two of which uh, some of you probably have contributed with to, which is the Nertacular Kickstarters. Um, and then I also run um, a video game program at the University of Utah, and I've had um, several student groups after they've graduated uh, in varying stages of success um, do Kickstarters and have been involved in those too. So. Uh, hey, I'm Brian Brushwood, and in uh, October of 2012, we wanted to do a Kickstarter, but we weren't allowed to because you can't start a business on Kickstarter, which we'll talk about later. Uh, so we did an Indiegogo campaign that funded and created ScamStuff.com, and uh, it's running strong and expanding after two years. Uh, also, I do two crowdfunded ongoing campaigns through Patreon at Cord Killers and Night Attack. Hi, I'm Veronica Belmont, and uh, with Tom Merritt, my co-host at Sword and Laser, we did a Kickstarter last year to fund season two of the Sword and Laser video show. Um, we were successfully funded uh, with a little extra to spare, and yeah, it was a great experience. Hi, I'm Tom Merritt. Uh, I host... <laughs> uh, my name is Justin Robert Young, and along with Brian, I host the Night Attack uh, Patreon-funded podcast. I've also done two Kickstarters for uh, seasons of the uh, FSL podcast that I do with Tom Merritt, because if you're not doing a podcast with, th- podcast with Tom Merritt, I don't know. You don't it's, exist. It's your problem, not his, because he'll literally do one with you. Just ask. Uh, and that's it. I'm, I'm Andrew Allen, and I work with Brian Ibbett with Coverville Records, and we've done three Kickstarter campaigns for jazz CDs. Hi, and I'm Dave Michael. I'm come at it a little bit differently. I don't actually do any of these crowdfunders. All I do is I, I help them. So I've worked with most every one of those that you just heard heard about, help them with fulfillment and uh, you know, shipping and all that, the fun stuff of uh, the nuts and bolts of kickstarting. So I thought maybe we'd all start just, um, you know, freeform, just how, how we came to decide to use a crowdfunding and also what our successes were. We'll get to the other part of that can, later. Can, can we start just by assessing real quick the crowd here, sure. taking the temperature? How many of you guys have donated to any kind of crowdfunding out there? Almost everyone. How yeah. Many guys, how right. many of you guys have done a crowdfunding thing before of any variety? Only a few. How many of you guys are here because you intend to do a crowdfunding thing at some point? Nice. About a little more than go. half. Okay. Thank you, Brian. It was a good meeting. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, do you just want to kick in with with questions or or, or no? I, I thought maybe it might be good for us to just talk. Well, about how we how we got to the point in which we would do crowdfunding well, campaigns? I, I would say, and and I, I don't know who started the earliest, but I know that uh, in October 2012, uh, I was deeply deeply in debt, and uh, uh, Bonnie was seven months pregnant with uh, with our incoming daughter, and uh, in a in a desperate bid because every time we had written, we had that same year released two scam school ebooks at ten dollars a piece, and they had each done fairly well selling about $10,000 uh, in the first month or so. So uh, the original plan was uh, I told my wife, like, look, with this th the book three of Scam School is halfway done. John can come over. If you guys are just gone, you go to the grandparents, take all the kids, we will burn the midnight oil for 48 hours and, and we'll come out and we'll have another book and that'll be another 10000 and that'll at least take the heat off of all this mountain of debt that we have. And instead, John came over and uh, and somehow, like in a, in a bit of procrastinator or whatever, like man, you know what we should do is we should just open a store. We should kickstart a store. And then, without telling Bonnie, for the next 48 hours, <laughs> we did not write the rest of Scam School Book Three, which still sits unfinished. And instead, we sketched out what an online store, some kind of um, uh, uh, not a magic store, but but a, a Brian Brushwood branded Scam School related, uh, basically a, uh, a, a I don't know a scam a conmanswoot.com is the way we envisioned it. And then we recorded a video pitching scam stuff. And over that weekend, we originally wanted to go with Kickstarter. We found out that there's a lot of things you can't do. Kickstarter wants to see physical product that ships at the end of it. They do not want to have you found a website. They do not want to see your, uh, or I guess they could be a virtual product. If you know, They want to see a movie that got made uh, or a, an artistic venture that was completed and finished afterwards. Nothing ongoing. And I thought that using Indiegogo would be a bad plan because it had much weaker branding than Kickstarter. But to my surprise, the most powerful brand to people is not whether it's GoFundMe or Indiegogo or Kickstarter. It's your name and your brand. And we were blown away. We asked for $10,000 of pre-sales. We didn't even ask for donations. We said, you could buy in advance. Our first product will be a scam pack. And, uh, and uh, to, our, to our shock and amazement, we blew past $10,000 in the first 24 hours. Uh, it, it made it, we almost got double funded by the, by the uh, second 48 hours. Uh, and then uh, by the end of the campaign, we, di we did about around $33,000 of pre-sales. Now it's important that you notice they are pre-sales because that meant we had 30 days to figure out how the hell to get all this stuff, how the hell to ship all this stuff. And we learned some very harsh lessons about fulfilling physical product. And if I had to do it again, as much as possible, I would have made a virtual fulfillment. But, uh, but I'm so thankful for that experience. And, uh, and anyway, it, it was amazing. It was uh, a, a surprise. And I think that's true for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. When you try to crowdfund, you're oftentimes surprised either positively or negatively. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, definitely the surprise was a big part of it because um, we had been done season one of Sword and Laser on Geek and Sundry, uh, which meant that they paid for the whole thing, paid for us, we had a budget to work with, and then they changed their entire roster of shows for the next year, and so we didn't make the cut for that second season. But we, the fans of Sword and Laser really enjoyed it. They wanted us to do more. We wanted to do more. We had a lot more authors we wanted to talk to. Um, so we decided to try to do a Kickstarter to fund the second season, and and I was so scared. I was like, this is terrifying. Like, what if no one contributes? What if, like, we fail? And I think, you know, as someone like me, like, I have this, like, 
ah, failure complex. Like, I like everything to work. I mean, most people probably do, too. <laughs> probably like to succeed rather than fail. Um, but, yeah, so we put it up, and we, we were funded three days in. Um, we were asking, we, we just, we wanted, I think, twenty or $25,000 just to cover production costs. Um, and we ended up getting around 50 total at the end of the 30 days. Um, and so uh, the thing, the next thing then we had to think about was fulfillment, um, because we were offering a lot of physical products. We were offering copies, ebook copies and physical copies of our anthology that hadn't even come out yet at that point. Um, we were giving away signed posters, signed t-shirts, um, all sorts of stuff. And that's where Dave came in and oh, saved the day. <laughs> um, we could not have done any, we couldn't have done any of this without him. I mean, he is a, a dynamo of organization and, and planning. And so he, he's really the one that, that made it successful in the end because we've, I think we still owe some people some things, but that's mostly because they didn't fill out their backer kit info and so they didn't like get the stuff done. Um, and that's their fault. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a really good experience. I think if we were to do it again, uh, like Brian mentioned, we probably wouldn't do as many physical uh, shipping of, of goods um, as rewards, uh, but we also did stuff like digital copies on thumb drives of the previous season and, and other stuff of the podcast, um, so that, that worked out okay, but it's a lot more work than you would expect, and even with having someone like Dave helping with fulfillment and with the planning, it was still a lot of work for, for me and Tom. I think making the decisions about the tiers right. is probably the biggest mental exercise we've mm -hmm. ever done. So tough. When Scott and I first started working on the first Nertacular Kickstarter, we were calling each other every five minutes, I mean literally every five minutes, changing the, the yeah. tiers. And I just, it, we had no idea what that, I think that's a really good point about the physical yeah. well, fulfillment and was it, a lot. And, and it is something that if you are friends with or have an ability to talk to somebody who has run a successful Kickstarter in the past, there's a lot of just like little knowledge about, you know, where you want to, like if, if sending a physical good is something that you want to offer, not doing it until it hits a certain number. Because at the end of the day, as much as, you know, listen, we're, we're creators by and large. Uh, I, I think that that in general says that we are not exactly numbers people. Um, and... <laughs> That means that when you are doing a Kickstarter, which I mean is about making your dream come true, you need to educate yourself on exactly what the pluses and minuses financially are going to be. Yeah. Because I, I've known people who have done really successful Kickstarters and wound up walking with like debt, nothing. debt yeah. for shipping. I yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. certainly when you factor in the fact that I mean, you know, listen, you're always going to be your cheapest employee, but your time matters. Your effort matters, your mind share matters, and if it is all going toward fulfillment and then dealing with fulfillment problems and then becoming soured with the people who supported you the most, it's hard, you know, it, yeah. it's not a cure-all solution. I think, and the logistics too are, are important to think about. For example, one of our reward tiers was Tom and I will each pick a sci-fi or fantasy book that kind of inspired us to do Sword and Laser and then send out a handwritten note explaining why with the book. Well, that would have been a lot easier had we just said, we are going to send you a book with a note explaining why we liked yeah. it. 
The handwritten part totally screwed us because then suddenly you're doing two separate mailings, two separate shipments. You can't just add a note to the Amazon shipment saying, you know, this is why you're getting this book. We had to send the book separately. Then Dave had to send us envelopes with uh, little note cards that we had to write the names on and sign them. So if we just left out the handwritten part, maybe not as many people would have wanted that tier, but it would have saved us I, hours I don't worth think of that time. That matters. Like, I mean, I think if you just would have said a note and, and there's an yeah. element that people can just but get a little bit more of you. But because we said handwritten, we had, had to, to do fulfill it. that. Yeah. And so it, it added to the difficulty. How, how did fulfillment go for you, Andrew? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, when you do jazz, you like to improvise and you're a, a natural procrastinator. Um, so the first CD, we didn't even factor in shipping at all. Oh, Not at all. Uh, That's uh, a problem. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We were in the shit. So, so uh, we ended up uh, funding the first CD and then had to eat the shipping. Um, second CD actually went, went pretty good. It went, went very well, but we didn't really figure out the tiers. So we offered a lot of physical product that took a lot of money to ship, and we didn't really offer very much digital product. And what we did offer was the whole CD for $8. Well, so everyone got the digital CD instead of the $20 CD, which, which really goes to help, help fund the recording process. The third CD, this, this brand new one, um, the tough part of that is that the scheduling was very difficult because there was a lot of moving parts. Um, I had to write 16 songs. Uh, we did three rehearsals a week um, and then had to record it all. And that was really, really tough. And we had, we had a lot of issues with production as well. So I think you gotta, you got to think about production and scheduling. If you can do both of those, you're going to have a successful Kickstarter after you fund. Also, have David Michael. Yeah. <laughs> hire David Michael. Yeah, because... For hire. He, yeah. I mean, like, I think the smoothest, I mean, both of the, the FSL Tonight Kickstarters were very much a benefit of the fact that, you know, I had experience uh, watching Brian's Indiegogo. Tom had the experience of doing the Sword and Laser Kickstarter at that point. Uh, so, and, and as well as the Nertacular one, especially considering uh, David's role. Uh, so it was fairly smooth. And a lot of it was just understanding that the big thing for us with a podcast was that what people wanted the most was just more content. Mm -hmm. You know, you're funding it because you want to create this content. So as opposed to looking at, I think it's hard when you're dealing with a, a kind of creator's ego, because I think in a lot of ways we're all very self-depreciating and we're mm -hmm. like, well, no, I mean, like, me calling them and saying hello, like, who would want that? Like, they would rather <laughs> have a book, you know? But in a lot of cases, that's not the case. You know, you, you kind of want more. I know for me, when, in the stuff that I fund, I would rather have the, the voicemail message or something like that. What's, what's funny, the biggest surprise to me was how much effort it took to fulfill a physical product and how little it mattered to half the people donating money. Yep. Like yeah. that is the biggest hurdle to wrap your mind around is that there's a significant chance that a third to half of everybody who's throwing money at you doesn't actually even want you to bother with your time to send the thing in. They just want to help. And that is the hardest thing. Because, and nowadays, like uh, thankfully on Kickstarter, you're able to set a tier. Like I, I 
personally, I always say like, no, don't bother. Don't, don't bother. send me the thing. Yeah, yeah. Me, because I've been there and I know what a pain in the ass I, it is to sell, send the thing. The most I've ever donated to a Kickstarter was $250 for the Singularity & Co. Kickstarter. Uh, so they could build a brick and mortar store in Brooklyn and, and you know support digitizing all these pulp novels that were going out of print. And my the reward level was every month they would send you a pulp novel in oh, the mail. No. And suddenly I had just have an entire bookshelf <laughs> full of old novels. And I'm like, I really didn't need those. Yeah. <laughs> and my husband is always like, oh, great, another paperback novel to go on the bookshelf. <laughs> it's all smelly and old. and but It's you, cool, but at the same time. And at the same time, as much as 90% of the people might not want the physical stuff that they paid for, oh, there is the one person who really wants really? the <laughs> physical stuff that they paid for. They're not shy about reminding you about exactly what was wrong with how you sent it. And really? that kind of goes... Oh, oh yeah. we didn't get that. Oh, like oh. yeah. You might have gotten it, but Dave might have Oh, did you get that? Do you it. remember anything like that with Sword and Laser? Hey, Dave, did you get any complaints about yeah. stuff? Not not a thing. Everything is <laughs> smooth, it's good. You know, there's a lot of different crowdfunding options out there now. And, you know, you've got your Kickstarter. We've been talking a lot about Indiegogo, Patreon. There's some things. One things I would say that you, if you're thinking about doing one, there's some things that you really need to know, that you need to think about and know. They've hit on a couple of them. I'm going to tell you something. You guys don't listen. The, the least important thing, it's very important, but the least important thing, frankly, is knowing what your, what your project is and what you want to do. Because that's the easy part for you as a creator. That's the part that's driving you. That's what keeps you up at night. That's what you, know, you feel in the pit of your stomach. There's the other things you need to know is you need to know some stuff. Uh, first off, you need to know yourself. You need to know if you're a guy who likes... Shoving a you know shoving a book into an envelope and shipping it out. If you like to know what the cost. Spoiler alert: you don't. don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and so you need to know that about yourself before you go and set up these things because you need to know your project, but you need to know what you can actually do before you get into it. And then the other important thing is you need to know your audience because a lot of these things, and these guys have hit it uh, very very clearly, is there's some things you're probably not the best person to pick your your own rewards, because you're going to look at it and you're going to say, oh, for the God, for God's sakes, nobody wants something I've ever signed. Nobody wants something that I've you know, even touched. And if you don't know your actual audience, you're going to miss a lot of really good opportunities. And I think almost everybody except Andrew at this table, I've, and Brian, I think, I've at one point or another had to say to them, no, no, really, you're going to put that up there for 300 bucks, and that's going to be the first thing you sell. Yeah. No, never. That will never happen. And sure enough, They've sold out because, as a creator, you don't always understand exactly, you know, what it is because you're just a ball of nerves. Yeah, it's it's always yeah. easy to push a job on future version of you, but at some point you're going to become future version of you, and you're going to hate current version of you. That's a really <laughs> really good point. I I think um, you probably all experienced these slightly less. Uh, stressful check-in period uh, at Nerdtacular this time. We didn't have a gigantic line. That was because we were last year fulfilling Kickstarter rewards at the window. So that that made us all very tired. <laughs> Can we uh, just sort of brainstorm here as, as a bunch of people who've had experience with this sort of break down? Because I'm assuming since the most hands went up for people who plan on doing a crowdfunding thing, can we break down the anatomy of what the perfect crowdfunded project looks like? like We're going to get are, there. Oh, it's on, oh, oh, it's on there. I have a list. Brian's trying to moderate now. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I got him. Um, <laughs> Relax, <laughs> homie. She got this. One of the things I, I did really want us to talk about is, um, in essence, you all, and I guess we all, 
have a, a built-in audience, right? I mean, your podcasters, your um, television stars, your, you know, what have you. Whatever um, it is. <laughs> I wasn't going to go yeah, for well, it. Uh, <laughs> miscreants. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, maybe some of our uh, people here don't have that built-in audience. And so what I, I thought maybe one of the things that you all might be interested to know is how do you actually create um, an audience for a product that you have or something that you want to do? Or if you have sort of a, a stream um, of people who are interested, how do you get a wider audience? So have you guys done well, I think that. part of that is putting the cart before the horse. If you're looking for an audience before you launch a Kickstarter, well, I mean, you know, like yeah. I, I think. Well, I think no, I actually, I, I think she's right. I think you have to have an audience uh, before no. you launch a Kickstarter. That, that, that's my point. Is yeah. that if, if the question is, I've launched a Kickstarter. Now, right. how do I find my audience? Right. Then, like, you have already put yourself upside down. Um, you need at least to have an identified group of people in your mind that would be interested in something like this. For example, a lot of really popular Kickstarters are for like you like you, you funded for $250 a uh, a place to like digitize a bunch of pulp novels, you know? It's not like you visited that store yeah, all the I've time. Yeah, I've never even been to the store. Never been to the store. Brooklyn, yeah. But it's like the idea of okay, there's a group of people who care immensely about something, and I'm going to solve their problem. That's one way to go about it. What a lot of I think everybody up here has done is not identifying a new audience, but rather looking at our own audience and saying, "Hey, what would you guys like to spend money on? And what would you guys like more of? What would you guys like to safeguard as something that will continue to happen and just won't go away because we get too busy?" And well, and, and when I say when I say you need to have an audience, you don't need to have enough audience necessarily to fund your whole project. Although you know that's how we, how we've done it, you need to have enough of an audience that you can uh, get them to all stomp at the same time at the top of the mountain and start something really rolling. Because some of you guys out there may have like the next you know there's a ninety nine dollar of three D printer that got like you know, it funded a hundred times over because yeah. it was such a great idea. But all he needed was maybe a hundred people to get the word out at the beginning to start that rolling down here hill. But, but if you have more of a passion project, you are going to have to sell only to your audience because it's not something that will replicate and multiply enthusiasm on its own. I don't think we knew that we loved jazz covers when, <laughs> you know, when you guys first started. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's, that seems like the ball is rolling for you guys now because we really understand that now, at least this community, right? But Brian yeah. had a, a community that he could start working with. Absolutely. And, you know, I, uh, relatively unknown three years ago, um, and I used forums. So I, I, had a, I had a niche market, right, of, of doing jazz and doing geeky things with it. So what I did was I just went online and found as many forums as possible and then just started posting my stuff there. And then you know, and then it just slowly grew and grew and grew, and then yeah, yeah. here we are. But you have you had two niches there, and then yeah. as well as the frog pants community yeah, kind of Brian insular, too, which is yeah, like, you know. But it's like jazz aficionados hunt out and look for jazz. Yes. You know, geek music people hunt out and look for geek music, and you were able to tap into that and create a polished product, which again, I guess, is another thing that we're kind of taking for granted. You need to make this look like it's going to happen. And yeah. when it happens, yeah. it will be good. In fact, it will be better than the expectation that you have. Allow the dream to kind of flourish in the eyes and minds of the people that would be funding you. Because if like you don't if you don't put 
three times the effort than you need to in especially in a in a project where you don't have a community that you are just going to ask for money like for you know for for me and Brian and like uh, and and like all the patreons like we effectively just put on a webcam where you're like yo money I don't know <laughs> like and that's fine cuz we're just going to an audience that already has an established we have an established listenership Although in our defense we did do five takes to figure out like yo yeah. money no 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 not making yo, a statement money? Yeah. yeah money <laughs> uh, so like with your Kickstarters, like mm-hmm. it, it looked like, oh man, this looks like about as professional as I could possibly think a geek jazz music cover <laughs> band uh, would look like, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, you, you know, and that, that matters. You know, for me, it was, uh, I love jazz, so I was trying to figure out a way to reach as many people as possible within this within this community. So I was like, okay, so what can I do? Star Trek, right? So, so. I took Star Trek themes, which I wasn't really too familiar with at all, and then uh, fraud. <laughs> I like the I like the uh, triples episode. That one's good. That one's good. I like the one where Chewbacca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you have you already kickstarted a My Little Pony jazz cover Ooh. album? Next year. Oh, Next year. Yeah. After the uh, the uh, tribute to Miley Cyrus record coming out, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell no, you what, no, you, no. But hey, do you by, like by the millions way, of dollars? Yeah, by the way, for real, <laughs> a, a, a Brony Kickstarter would fund a like that. <laughs> yeah, you, you funding you, you, yeah. is magic. That's it. That's it. You just gotta find your audience. And yeah. Because I mean, like, like Sword and Laser is not a—we're not a huge audience. I mean, we're still very niche. And um, what, but what I liked about it is that we have this small but very passionate audience. And we're not making any money off the video shows. I mean, we don't have ads on them. We don't have sponsorship. We're not even putting YouTube ads on them. It's like help us make this show that you want to watch. Like you get to ask the questions to the to the authors. We're basically just your your megaphone to to reach the authors that you're really excited about. Yeah. Um, so when you kind of put it that way like let us make this thing for you mm-hmm. I think that kind of helps bring some of the excitement into the project and, and by the way the worm has turned in, in a lot of this Absolutely. like just culturally uh, in terms of and in all of our favors like that the idea of people just paying for what they want uh, people look at it in that simple way as opposed to how I feel they did in the past where they complicated it with well you could get money from somebody else if you know we would imagine that like well you're not talented enough to please this gatekeeper to get money for this thing now we've kind of taken our own destiny I think this is a cultural thing on the internet that yeah sure here's money I like this show I would like this show more if it kept going so please just I have this discretionary income take it and have a good time I think it's interesting that we didn't see that happen I mean public radio has been uh, raising money for this way for a long, long time, but it's taken us. I mean, I, I started backing Kickstarters four years ago. Is that about how long it was? Um, maybe three years ago. And it's like you're right about there's a tipping point. Something has changed. Crowdfunding is becoming huge. It was like threadless T-shirts. We got crowdfunded shirts, and then all of a sudden, somebody made the connection about money. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it's really changed. And yeah. I think Patreon. That actually, that's been something really interesting, because patronage has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? So that we would 
come back to that as kind of a cool idea, I think. Well, as, as soon yeah. as I love the fact that Patreon couched itself in the idea of patronage, because uh, in the late 90s, Michael Robertson, the guy who founded mp3.com, then got sued or whatever, he, he proclaimed that mp3s would make possible the rise of the middle class rock star, mm -hmm. that by having such an efficient market, people could go straight to the music. People don't love plastic round discs. They don't love managers. They don't love agents. They don't love you know people who manufacture posters or whatever. They love their artist, and this is a way for them to get the money directly there. And I think uh, I think Andrew is a testament to how that has succeeded. Mm -hmm. But likewise, Patreon uh, Patreon.com has made possible the rise of the middle class patron. You know, mm -hmm. you can feel powerful and like you're doing something good for the arts. You can feel like you're making a tremendous difference because you are. You know, all those nickels add up. And uh, and to me, I think that's the strength of it, and part of the reason it's cascaded forward because also they figured out a way to make it very classy to where you notice every time everyone who has a patron a Patreon funded show they don't get to the part where like now here's the part where we harangue you about making this possible instead it becomes a, a 30 second touchdown dance where they're like thank you thank you thank you thank you everything's awesome uh, if you want to join the club of people who make me happy bye you know then and that's it and I think that entire thing resonates with the audiences more and it, it, people always bring up the the NPR thing and, and like the public uh, the public radio stuff or public broadcasting, but when you look at it top down, I think it looks very similar. But culturally, I think it's very very different. Absolutely. Because, I mean, people who love NPR, nobody really loves the seventy two hour hostage negotiation no. Yeah. No. <laughs> where they just shake you down. It's like, well, you know, well, you like this American life. It'd be a real shame if it went away. Like. Uh, and this, and, and Brian put it very succinctly. This gives us an opportunity to say, "Hey, listen, you got the money, rad. You don't, rad. It's always yeah. going to be free. Let's just keep on rocking in the free world." But it's good yeah. to remember that Patreon. I, I personally, I, I like Patreon a lot. We're using that uh, for the morning stream, and it, it's been very good. But you have to keep in mind, both as a creator and as a backer, if you're getting involved with it, Patreon is the new hotness, and the focus, to a certain extent, needs to be on the fact that it's new and it's going through a lot of growing pains. It's growing very fast. There's a lot of exciting things going. I mean, I don't know if any any of you here, if anybody here has uh, backed the morning stream one, let me know. All right. well, oh. I'd just like to say right sorry. now, I'm sorry, because we've had a lot of issues with, with some of the delivery things, because Patreon is new, and there's some buggy stuff on the back end, so that when you, when you do things, you figure out, oh, I used to do it here in Kickstarter. Oh, actually, it's not there. Now, they're, they're very good, and they're growing, and they usually bring these things into the system, you know, within a couple of weeks, but if, if, if you're backing or you're starting to do it, you need to know that you're, you're on the cutting edge and that sometimes uh, you're going you're gonna to be ahead of, of the tool that you're using to fund yourself well, when you're out there. And it is something that, that I mean, I, I talked to Patreon uh, like at their offices a couple of weeks ago, and it, uh, I've said it before, but it bears repeating, especially to everybody in this room on this panel, that it was because of DTNS, the morning stream, cord killers, and night attack like those four, they point to those four as the spark of an explosion of growth that has the, the only four that you. this man supports. Well, there is a lot of yous, sir, and uh, it is because of yous that uh, that Patreon has not only really grown, but, but because everybody else learned to or, or, or saw that they could start one, and they've seen a gigantic amount of growth from it, and it's a lot of the reason why they just raised like $15 million in funding. So you guys all should give yourselves a round of applause that like you, you've made this platform exist. 
you know, I'm very also, polite. Round of applause. I get I get nervous about like funding fatigue though. Yeah. That's yeah. something that yeah. I'm, I'm well, dealing with right now. Because you might have noticed that we did not do a Kickstarter for Nertacular this year, and yeah. we talked long and hard um, to Scott about it because I think Scott was really worried about how can we do this huge thing that we were doing mm-hmm. um, that that in the past we've really relied heavily on that. Um, goodwill and that, you know, it's not just ticket sales. We have a lot of other, I mean, there's a lot of other money that has to go into having you all here. And um, that's why I really hard push for not doing it because we need to know that this is actually going to fund itself repeatedly. Right. Well, and it's also, it's a mature platform by now, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like how many years of crowdfunding did you do before you made the leap to just straight ticket sales? Right. Like, like, I mean, how many years do you have to have oceans of money come at you before you realize that you don't need to pay a middleman to summon the ocean for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we grew weird. So I, I think um, the two years that we did the Kickstarter, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, um, I, did I talk you into not doing Kickstarter, or did you talk me into not doing Kickstarter? It was mutual. Okay. So <laughs> I don't want to take credit for something I didn't do. But I think um, uh, that actually brings up kind of my next point that I'd like us to talk about is what do you think actually makes a crowdfunded project fail? Um, I, but, I've can can seen, we touch on funding fatigue real quick? Is that, yeah, is that I, on? I, was, yeah. I still had a little more to talk yeah. about that. Yeah, because yeah. like with Sword and Laser, you know, we we had the successful Kickstarter, and we're really trying to make a way to figure out how to make it grow and continue and, and be something sustainable. And you know, Tom and I are both freelancers, and he basically podcasts full time. But like, I've been really hesitant with the idea of doing a Patreon for Sword and Laser and doing a Patreon for any of my own personal projects, just because we have so much overlap with all of our projects. Like I feel like I'm hitting the tap too hard on the same people to keep asking people for money and you know the more shows we add to our networks the more shows we add to our personal projects it just feels like asking for too much and I don't want to be that guy that's like hounding people for cash you know you know all right so true story me and Brian are thinking about taking NSFW off twit and making it independent and funding it through patreon and Brian, what was your first reaction to the idea of oh, a post TMS, post Cord Killers, post DTNS? I was like, I Patreon. was like, oh man, I don't want to be late to the, you know, late to the party. I feel like everyone will already have given everything out. And and I remember the, well, I don't want to qu- exactly quote you. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, a lot of Emmer effort. Was, yeah, there was. There was uh, uh, I was like, well, I don't know. Do you think you know that it's the Patreon funds already been tapped? Is there anything left? And Justin goes, uh, Mother Funyun, uh, <laughs> you're telling me we can't get $350 an episode? Which, which was what we were, were getting, getting paid from at Twitter. the time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, apparently we could. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, and to your point, I think, yes, it's something to think about. Yes, it's something that you need to keep in the forefront of your mind, specifically in the, in the am I giving enough bang for the buck that I am asking for? Uh, but I, I think that it is... It's something that we very easily, with our own kind of neuroses and hesitations, can kind of make to be a bigger boogeyman than it really is. Because it's not like people have stopped funding stuff on on Kickstarter, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and whether or not there is an equilibrium point where people are like, well, yeah, I went and paid five dollars a month for the morning stream, but now I really want to back. You know, Veronica's sword and laser thing. So maybe I'll bring that down to two fifty, and I'll give her two fifty. Like. I think that that money is still there, and, and it's it's it, it like David said, like it's new. We don't know what it will be. We don't know what it is, 
but I think it is more than we suspect, and I think it is more regular than we suspect. Yeah. So what about the failures? failures? Uh, number one, if you don't have a video, you're a failure. Uh, number two, if you take more than 15 seconds to get to the freaking point in your video, you're a failure. Uh, number are you three, talking about Kickstarter pledge videos or Patreon videos? Everything okay. you do has to have a video. Every time you ask for anything, you need to click on it and you need to get somebody hooked in the first 10 seconds. That, you that, need, that, that's your flow chart. Yes. Yeah. Do you have a video? No. Fail. You're a failure. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you've uh, got to have it there because you want every person you know that's going to back you to put it on Twitter, on Facebook, because people, if you look at the statistics, I don't know if you guys have seen that, but people don't really go to Kickstarter and look for projects. Correct. They get exposed to projects. Right. And so you've got to have something that's going to catch people. Nobody right cares about what you used to do. Nobody cares about how you feel. Nobody cares anything. They want to hear one thing. What is your thing? Why could it not be possible anywhere else except for here on this crowdfunding campaign? And what do I get out of it? And That's how does it relate to Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, and get in in as succinct a way as possible. You can fill the last three minutes of your video with hilarious stuff or interviews or whatever. But in that first 30 seconds, you got to get in. You got to make what, it where, when, why, how. Boom. A I D A. A folks, sorry, this is Glenn Gary Glenn Ross joke that you got. <laughs> What? <laughs> First, First prize. You get your Kickstarter funded. Second, Second prize, prize, set of steak knives. Third prize is you're a failure. <laughs> Here you go. Poppers for funders. Thank you. One other person. <laughs> really? No one's seen that movie? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, actually, if I can, well, I don't know. Uh, there's a whole article that I absolutely adore on crack.com called uh, Six Harsh Truths That'll Make You a Better Person. And it's all circles around this one horrific scene, five minutes of Glengarry Glen Ross, uh, that, uh, uh, that's all just a giant kick in the nuts. And if you want to have your entire issue redefined for you, I recommend you check that out. And that's not a tangent at all. No. <laughs> no. Uh, um, don't ask what's in these green things. This is insane. So... Um, is there a problem, officer? No. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, back to the failure thing. Um, I've seen, um, I think probably maybe a, a more uh, similar thing to what maybe you all would be doing. Um, so I, my students that graduate, create game um, projects, think it's going to be the next Angry Birds, and the number one thing they do is they set the bar for money too high. Yeah. It's way they ask for way too much money. They want to they want their salaries for a year mm. and some inflated idea of what that actually would be. And I've seen that happen three separate times. Just you, just if if you set the bar low and then you can do stretch goals, that's a much more effective way of getting buzz just going for your project because if you've reached your goal that looks so much better in the long run than if you are just trying to get those last three dollars well because you had the stink of failure all over you absolutely yeah. that, uh, what you want to do is set a number um, that you expect to blow past in the first 24 hours the first uh, it's there's a u-shaped curve mm -hmm. to the donations mm -hmm. you get a whole bunch in the first 24 yep. hours it stays dormant for 30 days and then it pops up 
and you do a run up at the very end, which is why you want your maybe first or second stretch goal to be your real target. Yep. And uh, and again, you know, you're committing to do it if you blow past the first one. Uh, but then, but but make sure you set yourself up for success so that your first blast to your email list or friends is, I want to do a thing. Is it possible? Then 24 hours, they get an email saying, I can't believe it. We've succeeded beyond our wildest dreams. We blew past our goal. Here's our big stretch goal. And then uh, and then from there, you know, if you hit the stretch goal, great. And then you're on to the third, fourth, fifth stretch goal. But then make sure at the very end for your last run up, you're on your sixth stretch goal that it's like, we could do this just a little bit farther. Well, and you touched on something very, very important in terms of it's transparent, at least to me, having funded a bunch of them, which Kickstarters are there to pay your rent. Uh-huh. You know? And if, if this is about your salary and this is about your rent, it's, although it's no less noble, right, you know, uh, it, it, it doesn't feed why I want to give you money. Your idea is why I want to give your money. Your product is why I want to give you money. Oh, also remember you have to pay taxes on it. Yeah. Don't forget about that. Yep, it's income. I think that... It is income. Well, it mean, looks somebody, weird, it, it, too, also, if you make a lot of money in one. So, like, for our... We had this weird thing where we made all the money in 2013, and then we did all the production in 2014. 2014. So, suddenly, everything looked bonkers uh-huh. for our taxes and for our P&Ls and everything. So. Yeah, my students, they uh, failed to recognize that there were 10 of them. And we're trying to figure out if they were going to divvy the money up and if they should have started an LLC or something mm-hmm. like that. And um, it was a disaster and broke the team up. Yeah. So they made money but broke the team up. So, wow. yeah, it's, it was sad. I think that uh, going back to the failures, I think that uh, the tiers are really important. And, and to not give too much for too little. Um, and that's... When you really think about it, our Smooth Federation, our digital tier was was eight dollars, and then our our signed physical copy was twelve dollars. So we had, I, I think we had five or six hundred backers, but we only made eleven thousand dollars, which was which was two thousand dollars more than what we were asking for. But if we would have made that CD what we actually paid for, which was around fifteen dollars then we would have had so much more room to do extra things. So tears are super important. If there's one thing uh, when you're picking that so that you can, when you're picking your tier, because that is very important, you should always remember you should have a t-shirt tier. And you should make sure you set your t-shirt tier at at least 60 bucks because people love t-shirts. <laughs> it's just all there is to it. I've, I've been involved with some that have uh, had t-shirts, but they're like, well, t-shirts are 20 bucks. I'm going to do it as an add-on for 20 bucks. Well, that means you're making, as his example with the CDs, you're making three bucks, four bucks, five bucks, something on a, on a t-shirt by the time you print it, ship it out, get it out, handle it, and track it. But as a part of a package that's, that's a higher end, it's an excellent one. It's one that people love. And time in, time out, they're going to come in, and they will be, every Kickstarter I've been involved with, the t-shirt has been at least 25% of the money they've raised. Mm-hmm. I also cannot stress enough how important it is to hire David Michael. <laughs> like, he's full of these little bits of wisdom yeah. that will save your bacon. Vital. Yeah. Vital. Yeah, half of our nertacular calls are Dave, like, did you see this? And they're doing this wrong, and they're doing this wrong. <laughs> he is the master. Absolutely. Oh, he's the best. Yeah. I, know. So, I mean, you, you probably can do it by yourself. 
by yourself, but you're going to make mistakes. And if you can find a professional that is reasonable um, to include, I, I highly recommend doing that. Well, and, and, you know, uh, uh, Bill Duran. Bill Duran's got a lot of really, really good thoughts, especially on tier pricing and everything. He did uh, the, the stuff for his uh, space gun, which is, was an yep. outside-the-box Yep. property. He didn't necessarily have a built-in audience. I mean, obviously, he had the exposure of the morning stream, but that's not enough to fund what he wanted to fund. He went out there and, and tapped into sci-fi and prop builders and the cosplay community in a way that he really hadn't before. He was really smart about his tiers. Uh, and so you can set yourself up for, for success, but do not hesitate to reach out to people that have done it before, because it, it looks a lot different on the back end than it does in the front. Yeah. So it looks like we're about um, at the time where we could do Q&A, if yeah. you're all interested. So um, I don't know if there's a microphone, but we can... Oh, hi, Brandon. <laughs> he has all the answers. Do you want... Here, I can do that. If I don't trip down the stairs, we can just hope. <laughs> it's going great. Don't worry. Um, so I know that there have been not a lot, but a handful of projects where people have, uh, the people who have started the project have made fake accounts and donated a thousand or ten thousand dollars to themselves at a time just to make their Kickstarter look more popular or look like it's getting more exposure. And I've also seen Kickstarters where the people who are starting it obviously have enough money to do it on their own. Um, like they have an excess of money, but they're just asking people because they don't want to spend their own. Um, does that? Do you think that gives Kickstarter a bad reputation as a whole, or do you think that there are more good projects to outweigh that entirely? I don't think I've really seen. I don't really. I can't think of an example where someone I've been like that person is rich. They don't need my oh, money. No. Well, I think there's all backlash about uh, Zach Braff. Zach Braff oh, got, that got that the biggest well, thing well, on it. Like or it. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. That one too. Yeah, right? And she didn't fund. Yeah, yeah she yeah. wanted to oh, fund really? a movie that had nothing to do with Sabrina the Teenage Witch <laughs> or Clarissa Explains Aww. It All and everybody Aww. was like, no. I would have funded a Clarissa movie. Well, um, so would I. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 like if the audience is out there, I don't really have animosity towards that because I'm like, if they want to crowdfund something, if they want to do it a non-traditional route, like I don't see why that's a bad idea, especially if they're giving things back to the fans and to the people who are willing to chip in money. Um, like if they weren't giving any rewards, I think that would be, you know, if the or if the rewards were shitty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, part of uh, the, like, like the Zach Brap stuff, which, which he got. Uh, he got like legitimate heat for where he should have getting legitimate heat for the fact that Garden State sucked and I didn't <laughs> want to see another movie from him. Uh, when you are doing stuff like that, I think in his defense, you are you are asking for money that essentially translates to freedom from the studio that you work with, you know, mm -hmm. and that's what a lot of this stuff means. Even when you are raising money to do a project inside a larger organization, when you bring your own money, you are able to call your own shots to a degree that you would not otherwise be able to. But uh, I think all the all the issues are legitimate. I mean, like if they're out there and people are talking about them, then you have to deal with them. But I, I think the last thing you said is absolutely correct. There's just more projects that people really want to fund that. Uh, outweigh the fact that every once in a while we get something like that. Uh, well, the Rob Thomas and Veronica Mars, yeah. they, they yeah. very clearly said that they did not intend to not raise more money with the studio system. What they were trying to do is show um, a, uh, a want, a, a desire for the Veronica Mars movie. Yeah. So they made, they started it out in 
I think they actually kind of seeded it. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, the only question that matters is do the people who contribute feel screwed? If they don't, then by definition, it was worth doing. And Veronica Mars, their audience feels like it was great. Folks who donated to Zach Braff felt good about it. It's their money they want to donate it. You know, there, there's been a backlash, you know, with uh, the folks who do donated to the Oculus VR and then ended up backing what, Facebook. you know, ended up being a giant moneymaker when Facebook bought them. And, of course, uh, a very high-profile notch said that, you know, that he was going to stop supporting it and he's bummed that he gave $10,000 to it. But again, uh, at, at the end of the day, if people are happy to give the money and other people are happy to use the money to make projects, then I, 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 don't, I don't understand the fuss about like, yeah, but you're rich. It's like, I mean, to me, that's, that's irrelevant to the discussion. Hmm. All right, uh, Kickstarter's not doing all this for free. What's their cut? When is the I, I don't know what Kickstarter it's, is. Uh, I know that Patreon does. No, no, uh, they're, they're take. I think it's take, uh, seven across all across everything across the credit cards and the Amazon Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Yeah, well, the Amazon processing fee. You're looking at about five to seven yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think it was as high as seven. That seems to be about where everything the fair, where where we've. I mean, like Indiegogo, uh, Patreon, like everything sort of hovers around the five to eight. Well, it, and it depends also because there's credit card f processing fees on top of that. I think it's like 5% is their cut plus the 3% the for uh, uh, credit cards. And I know that Patreon bundles, let's say you donate to you know DTNS, Cord Killers, Night Attack, and the Morning Stream, yeah. they will not run four different payments. They will bundle that together. <laughs> Patreon loves you guys. <laughs> the uh, subscribe to four things people loves it. Any other questions? Um, you were talking about some of the rewards that you had that you were really surprised that were the ones that funded for first. Can you talk a little bit about which ones surprised each one of you, which you were like, there is no way someone oh, is going to yeah. fund that? Yeah, we had one of our, our most expensive rewards was we will, Tom and I will read your book and then we'll get on a Google Hangout and talk about your book. And you can either make that Hangout public or you can just keep it private. You can keep it for yourself as feedback, whatever. And someone did it. And it was a lot of money, and I was really, really How surprised. Much? It was like three thousand dollars. Good God! Yeah, and someone thought that was valuable, and I really, I just, we just put it out there, like, well, maybe. And uh, so that was that was really awesome. Um, I, I may have the price wrong, but it was it was expensive. Um, and then we had another like five thousand dollar one that someone one person bought two of. Um, so yeah, it was stuff like that. Yeah, it was pretty Holy pretty amazing. Smokes. Yeah. There were uh, two surprises. One that surprised me that nobody bought was we had in our uh, Indiegogo for scam stuff, for $10,000, you could uh, name my daughter. <laughs> and uh, you like, like legitimately, anything within reason for the middle name, we would go with. And Bonnie wasn't real thrilled with that one, but uh, meanwhile, we could have used the $10,000, so nobody went with it. <laughs> Man, you get it. That's your thing. Is is the cavalier, uh, the cavalier ten thousand dollar option? Because the ten thousand dollar option on our Patreon is that I moved to Austin. Which <laughs> <laughs> says put up without underneath. My... I haven't discussed this with Justin yeah. yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the big thing for us was uh, uh, on FSL the first uh, season. We had a three hundred dollar level where you would be able to name four teams uh, of whatever science fiction or fantasy place you would want and then we would have you on as our expert commentator and we would do a four team little uh, it would two episode tournament uh, and 
two people bought it. You know, it was like six hundred dollars right there. And Darren Kitchen didn't even use his. Yeah, I'm sorry, it was five thousand dollars. Wow. And it was one we had offered one, and then he did it, and then we had um, we had a three thousand dollar one that was you get an executive producer credit um, for the whole season, and someone bought it, and then we actually looked up the guy on IMDb, and he has all these EP credits on IMDb, and I think he just buys EP credits. Well, and, and there, there are legitimately people who do that because they want to access to the Screen Actors Guild or, yeah. or for yeah. After or like, whatever. Oh, all right, yeah. okay, well, I'll take your money. Yeah. And I think I think offering digital goods for anything over like twenty or thirty dollars uh, really surprised us. So on our second Kickstarter, we offered six digital songs, digital download only for a hundred dollars, and we had forty backers for it because they just they wanted that song. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I've never been surprised by. <laughs> but that's but that's why, frankly, you don't. When you're doing one, you don't need a professional. You could, you, if you need, if you want one, you, what you need is a friend who can tell you that you have no idea. Because Justin was surprised by that, but when we pitched it to him, we knew it was going to go. So, uh, who did y'all go through for fulfillment? I mean, David I mean, Michael. Yeah, David Michael for me <laughs> for for the two Kickstarters. I think all of our rewards on Patreon are are digital. Yeah, um, we uh, we literally uh, two thirds of my garage is still inventory, and we still have a guy come over once a day to run the business out of the garage. Like we're not joking when we say when we say it's a boutique homegrown business because it's still in my freaking home. Yeah. I go through Brian Ibbett. Yeah. So I'm a member of uh, the Tech Community in Minneapolis. We've had lots of very successful Kickstarters and a num- mm-hmm. bunch of failures, and. What I haven't heard you talk about is that month of the Kickstarter, the successful ones are just out there beating the bushes that their full-time job is PR on the Kickstarter. Is that what it went for you guys? Uh, you know, something that, that if you if you corner Bill Duran, he'll he'll give you the, he'll read you the riot act on understanding the the tiered elements of getting the word out on your Kickstarter that identify like week by week by week who you want to go to, the places you want to target, and try to make a sustained noise as opposed to sp- spending you know, the first uh, you know, three days yelling and screaming about it and then just spamming your friends on your Twitter or Facebook day after day after day. Yeah, likewise, if you want to see a case study in creative hustle, we're just constantly going back with a new angle every 20 minutes as Ali Spagnola on the crowdfunding did it a tremendous do- job. We... Uh, we you know, she got her original thing. I forget, was it her original number that we thought were like, hey, good luck with 30, that. 30,000, I think, was yeah. her was her original number. And we were both like, and we, our friends with Ellie, love Ellie, and we we're like, all right, whatever, lady. <laughs> like, your funeral. Uh, and then she funded it. She she was hustling. I mean, And like, she, she did not have a gigantic established fan base. Instead, what she did is she wrote specific songs for various news outlets. Like, uh, I think Gizmodo wanted uh, her story and so instead she wrote a, a rap song about her whole story and then she went to a courthouse and pulled off her pants and danced around. It was friggin' insane. I mean, it's like everything she did was at 11 and some people got turned off by that, but other people, you know, built her audience enough to where, you know, she's really exploded on on the scene. Yeah, we just use because we have the podcast, so we just talked about it on the podcast and talked about different level rewards and, and things like that. And we have pretty, you know, active social channels. So I try not to over spam people because I think that has the opposite effect. Um, but just yeah, 
pretty much. My students who were successful um, decided to wait to do their Kickstarter until Salt Lake Comic Con was going. We had no idea it was going to have 100,000 people, but they got a booth there, and every card, every single person that they went by, they had a Kickstarter card um, and gave it to them, and they funded. So, um, and people could play the game. So that was that helps. Fun. Yeah. yeah, really. You know, actually, yeah. that's the biggest thing, and I don't think we talked about this. There's a tremendous difference when I click on a Kickstarter video. Uh, there's one phrase I listen for, and that's "it already works." We have them. We just need to scale up. That is a different donation than I really want a, a I don't know, a potato-based table system. You know, it's like. Uh, if you have something and it works and you're already selling it... And like, you a, just... like a solar roadway? Oh, jeez, don't get me started. <laughs> it's the worst idea. There's a reason we don't make roads out of iPhones, assholes. <laughs> uh, do you think in some cases a Patreon might cause more harm than good because you're giving up the... Like saying, oh, we're doing this podcast out of the goodness of our hearts. We're not seeking anything. And all you get is you expose everybody. Oh, I've got two fans and I made $5. That is, that is actually a really good point because one thing about all the crowdfunding things is that they all have built into it that their numbers need to be public, that it's on Front Street how much you're making and how successful it is. That could be a good thing in that you see something overfund and it's an indication that everybody loves it and maybe, there, maybe there's something to it. It could be a bad thing when it's like you have a great idea and people go to donate and they're like, wait, it's 20 days into it and they've only made $20. What's going on? So uh, that's something you'll have to ask. There's actually a relatively famous podcaster that I was hammering on to tell him, you know, because he does a doma donation model, and uh, I was like, you've got to do Patreon, you've got to do Patreon, you've got to do Patreon. And he's like, the problem is, is that the numbers are, are out in public, and I think that would hurt us, uh, because we have a good reputation as being the little show that could. And I was like, I was like, well, I don't know, what kind of numbers are you talking about? He's like, we make this much. I'm like, yeah, don't mess with that. <laughs> and so, uh, so it, it, is, it is an important decision to make. Uh, it was the reason why I didn't want to do Patreon, initially. Like, I, I was afraid that introducing the element of money would harm the relationship that we had with the audience. And, you know, Patrick is, is very, you know, familiar with, with how important and vital that is to, to Night Attack or NSFW before it. So I was ter terrified of that. I was terrified that it would, it would be lower than we expected or now there would be, like, this anger toward the people that we love the most, that have supported us the most. Um, it's kind of been the opposite of that. The, the pitch I would make for anybody who has a podcast that they want to have a Patreon for is that unlike Kickstarter, which ends or has the stink of failure on it, although a lower number on a Patreon, it's new enough that I don't feel like people necessarily understand what is appropriate for a random podcast or YouTube series that's already free. Uh, and also, you are just setting that net up for if you do have a large influx of new, uh, new listeners or new viewers and everything. And should that happen, you're not like profiteering on this boom like it's just a way that people could always support you and if you go three months getting five dollars an episode then that's five dollars an episode like it's five dollars more than you had before if all of a sudden you get a whole new audience then you have an opportunity to to make that work more for you than you would otherwise okay since i have the microphone i'm gonna ask a question <laughs> Um, so what do you think about the new, um, I've been hearing lots of people talk about this new you're an investor in a project. Have you guys heard about that at all? So um, an LLC or a, what I hope it's not a C-Corp because that's bad taxes, but um, they're actually saying if you invest in this project, 
um, you will actually own a little piece of this company. Oh, this is because there are SEC rules saying that you have to have a net worth of a bajillion dollars to be allowed to speculatively invest. Right. Uh, and so to protect the American populace, you have to be already crazy rich in order to be allowed to invest and own something. Right. And so this is a way to pool the money and virtually allow people to, to invest. Uh, I actually think that's a pretty cool idea. I mean, I understand the reason for creating those rules for, to begin with, but I, I don't see why only rich people should be able to, you know, take a risk and make even more money. Or lose money. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, look, I mean, why is it that all the poor people go to Vegas and all the rich people invest in corporations? It's like, that, that ain't right. You, the poor people should be able to invest too. Because Wall Street's a uh, rigged system, maybe? Yeah, you hear that, Wall Street? Yeah! Shots fired! <laughs> I like no, it. I'm not a socialist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, I think we're at the end of our time. I'll yell now. Um, d is any last pieces of advice for everybody, guys? Yes, have realistic expectations, I think, is probably the biggest takeaway, for, for me anyway. I think that's the thing that kind of kept us sane during the whole process. We knew exactly how much we needed to make, and we pretty much kept it there. And then, you know, hoped for the best. And then, you know, did the next, the, the tiers after that appropriately. Uh, if you're not a financially minded person, and I am not a financially minded person, get way more financially minded than you ever have before. It is a very smart thing to think through a lot of these so you don't end up holding a bag of you know, receipts for spending and you have now made no money. Uh, but I would say, listen, I mean, have fun. I mean, this is your dreams coming true. Like, like understand, if you're realistic with what you have to do to do it, then there's no reason why this shouldn't be a slightly nerve-wracking but ultimately rewarding and super fun experience. And I, I would say going into it, uh, create as honest an assessment as you can of number one, your sphere of influence. Maybe figure out something unrelated to your Kickstarter that you can do as a test bubble. For example, like, you know, see how many people, if you uh, have a, uh, will sign up for your email list or whatever, and then you get an idea of what your core base is, whether it's your family, whether it's your, you know, the school, whether it's your teammates, whatever your social group is to act upon. And then likewise, ask other people about your ideas idea. So many of the worst Kickstarters are stuff where one guy thinks he's got the greatest thing in the world, but he clearly has asked nobody else what they think. I think uh, we've talked a lot about the business aspects of it, but I think the, the very most important thing is love, your, love the project that you're actually trying to do. And make sure that make sure that your art, whether it's doing video games or doing music or podcasts, that that you are happy with it before you ask other people to donate to it. Well, that passion comes out in your video, it, it, hopefully, <laughs> and it comes out when you talk to people about it. And people like to support other people's dreams. And so, if you can reach for that star, I don't mean to be like badly poetic, but um, you know. I think that's actually why Kickstarter is so powerful. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, I, I think that that's um, one of the great things about um, the, all the things that I've been involved with that were successful is everybody got really excited about something being successful for those people. And I, it, it's, If you can make them believe, that's all that matters. I, right? I'll tell you what, to that, and this will be like a good thing to go out on, like, Confidence yeah. and not desperation. That's right. Project <laughs> confidence. Do it with a smile. Do it with understanding. Hey, listen. When we get there, it's going to be rad. Right. Like, don't don't turn this. Don't turn it into like, oh, well, 
Two months from being out of my apartment, wife left me. I need this money, folks. <laughs> it's not a country song. No. Yeah. But right. you could own a truck. <laughs> Dave, any last words? Yes. Buy a scale. <laughs> Weigh your product, your, your rewards, and figure out how much it costs to every country out there. They are only in three little tiers that you need to worry about. And do it before you launch your Kickstarter. Yeah. yeah. Period. And South Africa will hold all your stuff in customs. Just so you know. Weirdly. Don't take that, South Africa. That was a bad ending point. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, everyone, for coming. And I'm, you, we're all around, so if you have other questions that we didn't get to, let us know. So. Thank you. Thank you.